State rankings show up in tourism brochures, corporate recruiting pitches, and economic development campaigns. But being number one isn't always such a good thing. You can be sure, for example, that Indiana's law enforcement, public health, and human service communities would love to see the state relinquish its standing as the nation's meth lab capital, a distinction the state has held, at least in terms of lab seizures, for three years running. Hi, I'm John Chuanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll examine the General Assembly's latest attempt to curb the state's methamphetamine crisis. Our weekly roundtable discussion will feature four experts on the subject, including the primary authors of legislation designed to reduce the availability of the drug's key ingredients. We'll begin, though, with this report from Christopher Ayers of WFYI Public Media. When it comes to meth production in the United States, unfortunately, the Hoosier State leads the way. And in 2014, it wasn't even close. Indiana law enforcement that year recovered nearly 1,500 meth labs. The only state that came close, Missouri, accounted for just over 1,000. But the type of meth lab found in Indiana isn't the same kind you'd see on the hit TV series Breaking Bad. Most meth made here is cooked up in small, clandestine, makeshift labs using common household materials. And the key chemical ingredients for this type of meth, ephedrine and pseudoephedrine, are easily found in common cold and allergy medications, like Sudafed and its generic alternatives. That's why lawmakers have started talking tough this session about limiting access to those drugs. Current law already limits the amount of ephedrine or pseudoephedrine drugs that a person can buy, but some lawmakers think that those restrictions need to go further. One bill would bar drug-related felons from purchasing the medications at all, Another would require a customer to have a pre-existing relationship with a pharmacy to purchase the drugs without a prescription. And a third would allow pharmacists to redirect customers to medications that contain smaller amounts of pseudoephedrine, or even deny customers if they suspect the customer might use the product for non-medical reasons. Lawmakers acknowledge these limits won't eliminate meth production in the state, but they do feel they could make a dent, a position that may have some precedent. The legislation that would allow pharmacists to redirect customers, for instance, is based on a law in Arkansas. That bill has garnered support from the Indiana Pharmacists Alliance, a group representing Hoosier pharmacists. Its members point to Arkansas as a meth reduction success story. They've had a 95% reduction in their meth labs over the last four or five years. So it's, it has a proven track record, and we're hoping we can do that same thing here in Indiana. That's a scenario Hoosiers, both in and outside the state house, would like to see the state replicate, and in doing so, eliminate Indiana's dubious distinction as a meth-making destination. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Christopher Ayers. Thanks, Christopher. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana Lawmakers, from the state house to your house. What if a robotic arm could help disabled students reach for their dreams? It does. Introducing RoboDesk. To learn more about this and more than 400 other world-changing Purdue technologies, visit otc-prf.org. As I noted at the top of the program, local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies have waged an all-out war on Indiana's meth producers, dismantling some 4,500 labs since 2013. 
The battle lines, however, run not only through some of Indiana's most economically challenged cities and rural areas, but also through the state's pharmacies and drugstores, where meth cooks and their accomplices, or so-called Smurfs, continue to find ways to obtain cold medications containing pseudoephedrine, a precursor to the illegal drug. Joining me to discuss the issue are Republican Senator Randy Head of Logansport, Chairman of the Senate Local Government Committee, Republican Representative Ben Smaltz of Auburn, Chairman of the House Commerce, Small Business, and Economic Development Committee, David Powell, Executive Director of the Indiana Prosecuting Attorneys Council, and Grant Monahan, President of the Indiana Retail Council. I thank you all for being here. A lot of expertise uh, collected in one place, and I appreciate your lending some of it to our viewers and listeners. Senator, let's start with you. What's the scope of this problem in Indiana? Well, Indiana leads the nation in meth lab arrests and has done it for the last three years. So the problem is huge, and we simply have to do something. And, and yet it's not ubiquitous. It's not an equal opportunity scourge. If you look at maps that uh, depict where those very uh, lab busts take place, it's really in pockets of the state. Well, it can be anywhere because all the ingredients are readily available. Uh, it's uh, started off, I think, largely as a rural problem, but it has moved throughout the entire state. And I should point out, could have added this to the introduction, you of course announced your candidacy formally for Attorney General uh, right. this week, uh, fresh news. Do you see that being a major uh, aspect of this campaign, that is meth and the, and the fight against it? Meth and, and all kinds of drug abuse I think would be an important part of any candidate uh, talking about running for Attorney General. And it, it uh, Representative, again, uh, your area has been racked by this problem. We could cite any number of statistics. Uh, Children removed from homes, the, uh, the environmental impact with home, uh, homes being in, inhabitable, basically, after uh, meth has been cooked there. But you've gone with the, per you talked about the personal uh, aspect of this in supporting some of the legislation. What, what do you see the toll being taken in your district? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> I, I got on this uh, about eight years ago when I was on the county council. I was trying to figure out where all the money was going, and I found that generally the money that a county spends goes towards people who just can't obey the rules. And I was trying to figure out what rules were being broken. I kept running into methamphetamine, methamphetamine. I started digging into that. And I found 4,900 homes across the state listed as uh, meth lab addresses. Um, I found $1.87 billion annual cost put out by IU. Um, of course, the meth lab totals this most recent year, 1,530. Um, but for the past eight years, it's been, it's been pretty epidemic in, in my area. But then it, I, it had a total change of, of motivation about eight months ago when I met somebody who was a foster parent, and he talked about kids and how they arrive at his house, and he was upset. He said, these kids, they arrive with nothing. And he said, it's not that they don't have a computer bag or they don't have a, a gym bag full of clothes. He said, they're naked, and they're wrapped in a blanket. And that's what happens to them. And he explained the whole process of when they're taken from a home and they're taken to a hospital and they're decontaminated and interviewed and photographed and drug tested. And, and that changed my complete motivation for this. And a, a fairly significant percentage of those kids, in fact, do test positive. 35 percent. Contact uh, yeah. and exposure to the, the chemicals. David Powell, you, of course, uh, represent all of the state's uh, prosecuting attorneys now, but you were one in Greene County at one point, and you, too, saw a human toll. There. Yeah, as, as both uh, uh, legislators have spoken. First of all, let me just say I, these two men have led the charge in this session for uh, improving Indiana laws and giving us the tools, us law enforcement and public safety officials, the tools to help deal with this scourge because we deal with it every day in the field. Uh, certainly, we know that if you're making methamphetamine in a home, 
uh, it's not limited to the container it's made in. It ends up in the floor, it ends up in the carpet, it ends up in the drywall. And we've all, I've been in homes uh, where, <laughs> you know, the, the meth lab is next to the, uh, on the counter, next to the cereal box and the bananas. Got pictures of that, and there's three and four year olds walking around the house, and they all test positive, and and that's the real tragedy of this: is that uh, the, the families and the homes, the property owners, the landlords, and the children that are that are hurt by this, let alone the cost to the state of Indiana to incarcerate, prosecute, clean up uh, these these huge issues. And if we can if we can take the meth labs down, uh, there's an incredible collateral benefit to the taxpayer and to the citizens of Indiana. We're not going to get rid of meth. Because uh, the cartels will probably fill that void wherever there's a demand, there will be a supplier. But we will eliminate the meth labs if we can uh, eliminate the smurfing that goes on with this uh, manufacturing process. And Grant Monahan, you've uh, been affiliated with uh, the state's retailers for several decades now. Yes. Have you seen an escalation? And, and are all of your stores and uh, the people you represent equally concerned, or are we seeing these sort of geographic uh, pockets that we alluded to before? No, I think we're all very much concerned, and uh, all of us here understand and realize how serious this problem is. It's, it's huge. It's growing, and Indiana has not just a meth problem, but it really has a drug abuse problem. The governor created a drug abuse task force for a reason, because drug abuse is so prevalent in Indiana, and we all need to address it. Uh, there are two other uh, legislators who aren't here today, Senator Mike Young and Representative Dave Frizzell, both from Indianapolis, who have legislation that will create a registry that would block the sale of pseudoephedrine products to, uh, to people who have been convicted of a, of a drug felony. And, and so I think there's lots of different approaches to this problem. All of them are worthy for very good discussion this session. Well, let's look at uh, what's in place now in terms of... of prevention uh, tools, it's kept behind the counter, right. a Sudafed or Mucinex-D or the other um, cold medications containing pseudoephedrine. No sales to minors, right? right. Uh, you can only buy a certain amount uh, yes. in any given time, and which I tracked. guess is why you have, it's tracked and has been for what, three years with the Inflex uh, system, which mm -hmm. is the National Precursor, Precursor Log Exchange, right? Mm -hmm. um, which. So why isn't any of that working? What's, isn't that enough? Well, meth cooks uh, are clever, uh, and they find a way to get around our laws. And what they do is they, after they buy their legal limit, they hire friends or, or just acquaintances or strangers to go in and buy as much pseudoephedrine as they can get. And either they pay them money or give them meth after they make it. Uh, These are the so-called Smurfs. Yes. Yeah. Uh, here in downtown Indianapolis, I talked to a pharmacist yesterday who said at the bus stop, uh, a meth cook was stopping and giving people $20 as they got off the bus to go into CVS buy as much Sudafed as they could get, and then keep the change. It was, has been very easy for meth cooks to get a hold of this ingredient, and that's what we're trying to stop. And I guess there's uh, several people in, inside and outside the General Assembly have been quoted as saying they think that the, that the registry of the clearinghouse <clears throat> as it stands now is, is a failure or has failed to do the job. Is that, is that a fair assessment? I think it's a very fair assessment. I think that one of the, the um, consequences of the NPLEX system is it protects the Smurf. You can't buy too much Sudafedrin. So they can, before, you had to write down your name in a logbook, and they might go to three or four places. And then the police would be able to look at all the logs, find out that somebody bought too much, and actually go out and arrest them for that. But with the NPLEX, they're protected from that. That, that just can't happen. I think the NPLEX system works better than the paper log. I mean, the paper log, uh, this whole society has moved away from paper, and for law enforcement to have to go through 
reams of paper logs looking for names of individuals who've purchased would be a laborious, time-consuming task. Uh, the NPLEX system is electronic. It's uh, instantaneous. Law enforcement can look at that information um, at any time, and they can track what an individual is doing uh, in real time. And I think the NPLEX system has done a good job in helping to block sales of uh, pseudo-federal products. We've talked about some of the other bills. You, in fact, mentioned it a moment ago, and one of them that's out there, I think, is still moving, would, in fact, uh, beef up, if you will, the registry or the clearinghouse by requiring courts to notify the state police in real time, effectively, and then the state police to notify, I mean, an enhancement, I guess, of what yeah, you're talking I, I, about. That, that's been, that's, I think that reporting process has been improved uh, to a degree in, in Senator Young's bill, but, um, and will be in Representative Frizzell's bill, but it would add another layer of, of electronic tracking that would block the sale of pseudoephedrine products to anyone who's been convicted of a, of a drug offense. And that would be layered onto the NPLEX system. So you'd have NPLEX working, which I believe it does today, and then you'd also have the, uh, the registry that would block sales to those individuals. Can, so I, su can I suggest a, a consequence of that? Uh, please do. So we, we stop the felons who are convicted from buying drugs. The Implex hasn't, this current system hasn't slowed it down. In fact, we're number one. It helps us catch Smurfs. So, yeah, we're catching more people every day doing this. So if you want us to catch people and convict them, the current system we have works pretty well. We're doing it on a large scale, but we're not solving the problem. That's right. So what you do with this system that uh, Grant's talking about is you take the felons out, so who's going to buy it? Misdemeanors. Smurfs. People without criminal records that are going to be talked into going into it, get it, and we're going to catch them and add them to the felony list. So if we want to just keep locking people up for this, that'll work really great. Well, well going into this session, uh, David, your organization <coughs> and the uh, Association of uh, Police Chiefs and any number of law enforcement organizations, mayors, were, public defenders, we're wanting actually even more stringent controls in the form of a prohibition on the sales uh, to anyone without a prescription. That's correct. Uh, you've, you've, uh, and in fact, that's what some of the initial legislation indicated wasn't Absolutely. going to get a hearing. But you still believe ultimately that's what's necessary? If you want, well, I think that will solve the problem. If we want to solve the problem, that will do it. We understand there's been a compromise bill that does a little of that and a little of what Grant Monahan's talking about and others. And, you know, we're willing to try anything because this problem's desperate. Uh, if it doesn't work, we're going to come back and say it isn't working. You know, uh, and so I think there's a little bit of the prescription piece in, in uh, the bill that's moving forward. Uh, but it is, it's, a, it's a big problem, and uh, if we want to stop it, the only clean way we know to do it is make it a prescription. Now, I understand that people say we're going to lose our cold medicine. That, that, that bothers me a little bit because if you're not going to the counter now to buy your cold medicine, it won't affect you. And there are products available with ephedrine in it that are tamper-proof that you can buy that are, what, 90 cents more, 50 cents more than the original one. So, so if you're willing to pay a, a less than a dollar more, you can buy a product that meth can't be made from. So the inconvenience is relatively minimal uh, to the customer given the consequence uh, to the taxpayer and the citizen. Well, Representative, uh, again, you've sort of struck a compromise as you describe it here, and, and the tamper-resistant capsules are, in fact, one element of that. Walk us through right. quickly so, what you want to want to do with your legislation. So, sure. What Senator Head and I have tried to do is we have tried to find a, a place to land that takes care of and gives heavy consideration to that honest, hardworking Hoosier who's just sick and doesn't impact them but at the same time really 
puts it to the person who's making meth and polluting our homes and kids and houses and motel rooms all over the state. Uh, so what we've decided to do and what we think works is if you have a, if you have a relationship with your pharmacy, you're going to go in and nothing's going to change. You're going to go in you're going to be able to buy the same products that you can today. And relationship would be defined by the Board of Pharmacy. That's absolutely right. Uh, we, have, we have kind of an idea of what that's going to be, and we're going to work with them. It, maybe it's you've had a prescription filled in the last 90 days. Maybe you've had a prescription filled in the last six months. Um, the CDC says 47.3% of Americans have had a prescription filled in the last 30 days. So if, if you have a relationship with your pharmacy, nothing changes. You won't notice it. And that was the whole idea of making the net big enough that the good person swims right through and doesn't even notice it. And if you don't have that standing relationship, then you can get the tamper-resistant exactly. uh, pills at a little more expense. Very small. And it's if you don't want to do that, you can still get, what, 24 of the 30 milligram Sudafed? Exactly. So if you don't have faith in the, in the tamper-resistant, which is Sudafedrin product, it, it acts exactly the same as other Sudafedrin products, then you can get this pure Sudafedrin product uh, 24 count, 30 milligrams. Uh, Senator Head, you again, there's a lot of similarities with the, the, the bills. You've put a, a, an onus or, a, or a, I guess this is in the eye of the beholder, whether it's a burden or an onus or, right. a, or an advantage, uh, on, the, on the backs of pharmacists. These are trained professionals, you would say, who can discern whether somebody is a, a meth cook or a smurf or uh, somebody suffering a really bad case of uh, sinus congestion. Tell us why you think that, uh, that pharmacists should be at the front lines here. I think pharmacists should be at the front lines because we've tried it in Fulton County and it's worked fantastically well. I had a pharmacist and a group of people in Fulton County who were waiting for the legislature to do something about the pseudofedrin problem and nothing was happening. Uh, so they voluntarily got together and got all the pharmacies in Fulton County to go ahead and try this project. And that is that the pharmacist has a brief consultation with anyone that wants to buy pseudofedrin and the pharmacist decides if they have a legitimate medical need or not. They've done it since June of last year in Fulton County. They've dropped pseudofedrin sales almost 50%. Uh, they've chased the Smurfs out of Fulton County, and they say they can, they can pick out who they are, no problem. And uh, the Indiana Pharmacy Alliance is in favor of that concept, as well as the community pharmacist organization. And they would have, pharmacists would have these Q&A sessions, even if they have... Uh, a patient has an existing relationship, right? That's one distinction right, that's one in difference. The, two, the two bills. Yeah, right. That's a difference. Why, why, I mean, why is that? If, if, if Mrs. Smith comes in and, you know, I've been treating you as your pharmacist, I still got to quiz you, though, on, on how you're going to use the Sudafed? Well, Smurfs are just everyday people uh, that, that want some extra money, uh, perhaps, uh, and are willing to do it for 50 bucks. And these are people who have gone to pharmacies before. So the fact that the pharmacist knows them and has, has sold them medication before uh, doesn't mean that they're not a Smurf. And under this legislation, your version, uh, if a pharmacist, I guess, says yay or nay and turns out to be wrong and there are repercussions, there is, uh, he or she is held exempt from any liability. There's right, immunity from civil liability. Grant Monahan, now, again, your organization, I think, officially is supportive of this, but there are members, are there not, CVS, uh, the chain, which has suggested that this is problematic because it basically... <clears throat> compels pharmacists who are part of the, the health care delivery system to be part of the law enforcement system. Yeah, we don't see pharmacists as uh, having uh, necessarily a law enforcement role. The pharmacists are part of the health care system. They're an important part of the health care system. And um, to, to their credit, to the pharmacists in Senator Head's district have sort of taken on this challenge and are doing an outstanding job, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. Uh, but in my mind, in our mind, they're using their professional judgment 
uh, to make that determination, and they're doing that today without a state law. And, and so, and that that's great, and that's working well, and that I think can continue to work. And if other pharmacists want to, they're always using their their professional judgment. If they want to expand upon that and use that with regard to pseudoephedrine sales, they can do that as well. How about that? The only problem why is, isn't there? A, well, the a, only problem is they're not. So they only do it in Fulton County. They're not doing it anywhere else in the state, and we're number one again for meth labs. So it's, we it's, have to take action. We have to take some action, and not just some action, but the right action. And I know that the right action is to make it a prescription drug because it's worked in other places. It's a pragmatic approach. You just look at the data. Well, the only it, state, well, absolutely Oregon works. and Mississippi are that's the two correct. states where yeah, that's correct. Absolutely true. And the, the meth offender registry, the, the only problem with that is it doesn't work. In the states that have it, uh, Oklahoma, the NPLEX system blocked over 113,000 grams through regular NPLEX, and their meth offender registry blocked 1,012. But uh, help me out here. If pharmacists, uh, you say, are not doing it now, with the exception maybe of uh, those involved in this, this pilot uh, program, what happens, and uh, they're immune from any kind of civil uh, liability, when they're backed up, there's 20 prescriptions to be filled, uh, looks good, you, have, you know, what's to keep anybody from shortcutting the system? And, uh... So with my version, I've made it very smooth, quick. Uh, one of the changes we're going to make, uh, I think, is a, to allow a pharmacy tech to determine that patient of record. I think the, the client, the customer that comes up to buy pseudoephedrine probably won't even notice that's happening unless they're not a patient of record when the, the clerk would respond with, I'm so sorry, you're not a patient of record here. I can offer you these other products. But otherwise, that person, that other person, they're not even going to notice. They're just going to be pushed right through. And uh, David Powell, again, you, you're sort of coming at this from the law enforcement uh, angle. Do you do you want pharmacists enlisted in the cause, or do you do you well, see that as a, do you, you share know, some of the concerns? When, when I when I first heard that, I thought, would a pharmacist want to do that? And what's been refreshing is that they've they have said they want to do it. Right. Uh, they've stepped up. Uh, no one's mm -hmm. forcing them to do this, and they volunteered and and are supporting it. Uh, uh, I know some of the large retailers have some concerns about that, but uh, certainly we have two large pharmacy groups have said we want to do this. We want to keep our community safe because they see that in their community and their pharmacies, and, and, and I'm proud of them for that. I was a little surprised, but it's a good surprise, and so if they're willing to do it and, and they say they want to try it, I think we let them uh, because they are truly at the front line, and uh, if they want to help, we'll take all the help we can get. And it looks as if, uh, again, both bills sailed through uh, their respective uh, chambers of origin with overwhelming support. Uh, Representative, I think you got a standing ovation after uh, presenting your uh, and I'm sure you'll get one, too, Senator, because <laughs> uh, uh, we're, we're now planting the seed that, of course, you'll want one, too. I mean, again, you all have said some, to some extent this won't solve the problem because if you look at the people who are arrested, they tend to be people, in many cases, who don't have jobs, who don't have high school diplomas, who have mental illness. I mean, will, will any of these laws actually eradicate uh, what has, in many, what in many ways, is a social issue, a, a human services or economic issue? These laws can eradicate meth labs. They won't get rid of drugs or meth in our society. As Dave said earlier, where there's a demand, there will be a supply, and so there will be more work to be done, certainly. Is there a concern that it would come from, I mean, some parts of the country apparently get their meth from, and their raw ingredients from Mexico. Does this open the door to a different kind of criminal element, no longer the homegrown element, but... It's already here. It's, yeah, it's already here. And police departments are designed to um, attack organizational crime. So when you have somebody who's bringing methamphetamine in, you're going to be able to pick up that, that guy on the street. 
who's going to flip on the guy he got it from. And they're going to work their way up the chain. That's the natural way for law enforcement to work. And that's what law enforcement wants to do. Right now with meth labs, it's like cockroaches under a refrigerator. You, you can't see them. You just have to get lucky to catch them. So this would allow them to not fight those cartels who are already here and meth labs, but just to fight the cartels that are already here. All right. Well, we've, uh, we've covered a lot of territory here, and certainly uh, there are other elements to this, the environmental impact, where I know some legislation would perhaps allocate money for that. As you mentioned, the additional restrictions on sales to offenders, lots of elements to this, lots of pieces to the puzzle. But I think uh, uh, thanks to you all, uh, people who have listened to this or watched this have a better understanding of, of what's at stake and what some of the possible solutions might be. I thank you all for being here. Again, my guests have been Republican Senator Randy Head of Logansport, Republican Representative Ben Smaltz of Auburn, David Powell of the Indiana Prosecuting Attorneys Council, and Grant Monahan of the Indiana Retail Council. Soon, many police officers will be armed with cameras, raising the question, who should have access to crime scene footage on the next Indiana Lawmakers? And time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, there seems to be a good deal of consensus. Is that the case, or are there some rifts lurking just below the surface? Well, Representative Smalls got a standing ovation, as, as you noted, for his work on this bill in the House. And one would think that when you've, you've been able to kind of bring together everybody's concerns and, and manage to put together a bill that seems to address everything, and it goes across the aisle or across the rotunda, and everything's, you know, uh, sunshine and lollipops. But Sometimes in, in situations like this, you get folks that, that have kind of set out that first half because they're, they're not sure what's going to come out, and they want to see exactly what, what's in there, and they don't want to necessarily tip their hand, and, and they keep their powder dry for when it moves to the other chamber. And I think you're, you're going to see some of that in the Senate. You saw some of that with CVS, which set out that first half coming in and testifying about that in the, the Senate. Retailers having concerns about making pharmacists or pharmacies an extension of law enforcement. Absolutely. Will they prevail? I mean, we've seen radios or heard radio spots and other types of fairly aggressive campaigning on people who are concerned about some of these measures. That's only going to heighten, I'm guessing, between now and the end of the session? Well, this is a big lobbying battle, and it, it seems to be a, a lobbying battle between the, the folks that are directly involved as opposed to the consumers. The consu consumer product people are trying to get the consumers involved with this grassroots lobbying and, and broadcast ads, but I don't know that, that consumers are going to get that directly engaged. I think this will be decided in conference committee, kind of massaged out between all the, the interested groups that are part of this process, and, and you'll see a, a combination of all the things that you heard talked about today in that final bill. And of course, this is one element of a larger drug problem that Indiana's facing. It, does this piece help fix the other piece, or distinct? Well, it is. It's part of the puzzle, and we just saw in, in Scott County in the last week, you know, some some major drug busts, and and that leads to other concerns too. You know, you you do something about the opioid situation, and and you you stop some of those kinds of prescription drug problems, and and now law enforcement is is watching to make sure that, that people don't turn to the, the cheaper uh, substitute there, which would be heroin. And they're also concerned about you know, the health effects of people going through withdrawal and, and all of what comes along with that and trying to deal with that at, at the same time. So anytime you, you kind of hit one chink in that chain, you know, it disrupts things. And again, you know, you're, you're back at, at ground zero on some of these issues. Nothing happens in a vacuum, I suppose. Ed, as always, appreciate your insight.
For more information, streaming episodes, and extra content, go to WFYI.org lawmakers. You can also visit us at WFYI on Facebook and Twitter. Use hashtag Indiana Lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity and Bright House Networks. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Schwannis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues Ed Feigenbaum and Christopher Ayers, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more on the 2016 session. Until next week, take care. Purdue researchers are advancing manufacturing industries by developing 3D additive methods, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.